heart who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I want to talk today about um, what I think is the most important Bible verse in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, I know every verse requires some context, and you know I love context. Uh, every verse requires some context, but I think if I was just going to pick one verse to say um, this is the most important verse in the whole Old Testament, it's going to be Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So, uh, in chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent, and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head, and you will strike His heel. Um, so, uh, I, just real quick, I, I want to make um, a, a really simple outline of what's going on. So, um, God's talking to the serpent. But he's talking about two people. Who are the two people he says initially are going to be in conflict? The, the woman and the serpent. Right. Okay. All right. So we got the woman and we got the serpent. Serpent. There we go. Okay. Should have thought about that before I started writing. Uh, and then the, uh, two other groups are going to be in conflict. Who else is going to be in conflict? Ooh, okay, you are way ahead. You're going in the right direction, though. That's great. We are going to get there. We're getting there. But just in this verse, I will put enmity between between you and the woman and between, yeah, your seed and, and her seed. So there's the seed of the woman and there's the seed of the serpent, okay? Okay, um, I'm going to do like that. All right. Um, I think this verse is going to summarize almost everything else that happens in the remainder of the Old Testament, okay? Um, So, I want to talk about three big ideas that we get from chapter 3, verse 15. And the first one is really basic. God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. So, I don't know how to draw enmity. I'm just going to draw like, um, I don't even, well, like, like this, all right? Like we're fighting. Those aren't hugs, okay? Those are, that's fighting. Um, there, there's, there's conflict between um, these groups. On a, a really, really basic level, God says um, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a war. Uh, you, you know that I am um, next-level nerddom, and um, one of the things that I, I you know, I love Harry Potter. Um, I don't know if you are aware, maybe some of you know, there is a, a genre of music, I might have mentioned this before, called walk, which is a wizard rock, okay? Uh, and it's people that make music just about Harry Potter. Uh, and so there's a band called Ministry of Magic um, that I listen to. I actually own some of their songs. Uh, and they make Harry Potter music, okay? And um, they have a song called Don't Leave. Now, somebody took the, this song, Don't Leave, and they cut it together with scenes from uh, Harry Potter movies. 
And so I'm going to show you, this may be the best thing that happens to you all day, okay? So I'm going to show you this little video thing, um, but I'm really interested in the, in the lyrics, so pay attention to the words that are written on the screen. Oh, we can't hear anything. There we go. So good, right? I, 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 I appreciate the fact that you all restrained yourselves from standing up and dancing. I know it was hard. Um, I, I, I love that song, but it's the last line that's so meaningful for me. Uh, I know it's been such a long time since we've just been friends and not soldiers on the front line of a war that we were born into. And, and I think that's kind of what we're getting here in Genesis 3. We're being told that we're born into this war, a war that started um, with the woman and the serpent and now includes the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Uh, and, and this war is something that we experience on a daily basis. Uh, earlier this week, there was a report about um, an incident that happened in Thailand. There was a, a father who came to a daycare center um, looking for his own child. Um, he took 36 lives. Um, his child wasn't there. He went home and found his child and his wife and took their lives before taking his own. 24 of the people he killed were ages 2 through 5. I don't have to tell you that we're in a war. Uh, you see it every day. Uh, you, you see the war every time you hear that somebody you love has cancer. You see the war every time you hear that um, your friend has relapsed. You see the war every time you turn the news on and you see protests in Iran and war in Ukraine and flooding in Florida and flooding in Pakistan. But, but the problem with the war is that we Christians have, have really started blaming the wrong people. The problem with the war is uh, that somewhere along the line, and we Presbyterians are particularly guilty of this, we started saying, oh, it's all part of God's plan. I don't know how horrific God's plan could be if it includes a father going into a daycare center and taking 24 children's lives. It's not part of God's plan. 
And, and, and we, have, we have got to figure out um, how to get some of this language out of our culture. We, we, we do this as Christians to be encouraging, right? When someone's in crisis or in loss, we say, hey, one day you'll understand. We say, hey, God uses everything for our good. There's, there's going to be good in this. You just have to wait. We say, hey, there will be a silver lining. We say, hey, you just got to trust. It's part of God's plan. But that's not the message of Scripture. Scripture says we're in a war. Gregory Boyd says it like this, put succinctly, the philosophical assumption that a mysterious, loving, sovereign, divine plan lies behind even evil events in our world encourages an approach to evil that defines it as an intellectual problem to be solved rather than a spiritual opponent to be overcome. If all evil is believed to serve a higher divine purpose, then clearly one's sense of urgency in fighting it is compromised, and one's ability to understand it is diminished. Evil must be understood as being what God is unequivocally against, and thus what God's people must also be unequivocally against. Whereas the philosophical theology of sovereignty encourages and a theology of resignation, a theology rooted in warfare inspires and requires a theology of revolt. This is the only understanding that squares with Jesus' ministry and the whole of the New Testament. It is the only theology that is going to reappropriate for the contemporary church the power of the New Testament church to confront and overcome evils in our present world. Uh, When when General Patton um, was um, leading the charge to Germany, he did not plan for the Battle of the Bulge. When America was getting ready for um, figuring out what we're going to do in this season of World War II, we didn't plan to be attacked at Pearl Harbor, right? It's a war. And in this war, the enemy has real agency and real choice and free will like we do, like God does. Uh, and, And we are not called to understand evil, but to overcome it. We're not called to resign, um, but to revolt. And we see this throughout the New Testament, even more clearly than the Old Testament. The enmity between the woman and the serpent, between her seed and his seed, shows up throughout the story of Jesus, right? Jesus is always casting out demons. He's always healing the sick. He's always raising the dead. He's always undoing the broken world. Jesus is fighting the war, right? And He actually encourages us to be involved. He says, "Um, when you pray, pray like this, deliver us from evil. We, We say this prayer every week. But the prayer um, that Jesus says, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, doesn't actually say, deliver us from evil. It says, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Paul tells us our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the spiritual powers of evil and the heavenly realms. Of course, horrible things happen in our lives and in our world because from the very beginning, there is enmity between our great spiritual enemy and us between the woman and the serpent, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. However, um, this is not the end of the story. Um, We we are told right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, not only that there will be this great spiritual war that will play out through generations, but we're told who's going to win. Actually, we're told who's going to win before this. Did you notice um, there were only two things or... or, uh, objects or people that were cursed in this passage as, as God responds to the first sin. What did He curse? 
the serpent and the ground. Okay, um, really important. We're going to spend the next like eight weeks, no, seven weeks, a bunch of weeks talking about the curse on the ground. So I'm not skipping it, just give me time. Um, but the curse on the serpent is really interesting. God doesn't curse Eve. God doesn't curse Adam. The, the things that happen to them um, are bad, right? God says you're going to have more pain. But by the way, um, just fun fact, the, the word, so we're told the woman will have more pain in childbearing, and the man will have to work harder to bring forth um, uh, fruit from the ground to, to grow crops. It's actually the same Hebrew word, it's sawbone, which sounds like you're, it's, it's sawing a bone, right? It's sawbone. And it basically saying all the work of life-giving that was supposed to be great and effortless and fun because we're going to do it together, whether that's raising crops or raising children, all that's going to be harder now. But God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. And and all the stuff that He says uh, about pain in childbirth and it being hard to um, raise crops and dying and women submitting to their husbands, all that is stuff we're supposed to fight against, right? We're we're not pro-death. We're not pro-pain in childbirth, right? We're saying, hey, God, help us overcome that stuff. But the one piece that isn't going to be changed or overcome is this first curse on the serpent. The serpent's the only person that gets cursed. Uh, And so, we're told um, right here in chapter uh, 3, verse 15, that the ultimate victory will come um, when He will strike your head and you will strike His heel. Okay, so uh, this is really interesting. Um, Here we have conflict between the woman and the serpent, right? Here we have conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Who, who crushes the serpent's head? Well, it's Jesus. Yeah, that's the right answer. But, but in my story, is it the woman or is it the seed of the woman? He will strike your head. It's the seed of the woman. This is really interesting, okay? Um, so, the seed of the woman is going to strike the head of the serpent. This doesn't immediately make sense. It's the woman and the serpent fighting and the seed and the seed fighting, right? Why is the seed striking the serpent? Uh, So, unbelievably, there's so much going on in this one little verse, but unbelievably important, two things. The first thing is the seed of the serpent, by the way, the seed of the serpent is not snakes, okay? Um, The the, the seed of the serpent um, are going to be people, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, But the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman are in conflict, but we don't win by beating other people. Are you with me? We win by beating the serpent. Victory for God in the church is not let's conquer our human enemies. It's let's conquer our spiritual enemy. Uh, and, and the one who wins uh, is going to be an interesting kind of victory. We're told um, the, the, the seed is going to um, strike the serpent, but the serpent's going to strike back. It's going to be a victory um, where, yeah, the serpent is destroyed, um, but the one who destroys the serpent is going to be injured pretty badly, right? You will strike his head. He will strike your heel. By the way, why is it the woman and the serpent? It seems like it should be the man and the serpent, right? I mean, the the man is the first one to get questioned by God, and he's the last one to be told they're going to die. Um, Well, maybe part of the reason is that when the the most important seed comes along, he's not going to have a a human father, right? Just just a human mother. So, it's the seed of the woman that's going to strike the head of the serpent. Uh, 
this idea uh, is, is fundamental to the story of Scripture. Um, from this point on, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, through the end of the Old Testament, um, everybody is looking for the serpent crusher. Everybody's looking for the serpent crusher. Every hero that shows up in the Old Testament, you're supposed to ask, I wonder if this is him. I wonder if Noah is the serpent crusher that we were told to expect. I wonder if Abraham will be the serpent crusher we were told to expect. I wonder if David will be the serpent crusher we were told to expect. And every time you're going to say, oh, he was cool or she was cool, but boy, they weren't quite it, right? We're still waiting. Uh, Fun fact. So, Three, four weeks ago, I can't remember when, um, I had the privilege of doing a wedding um, on Rib Mountain on, in the amphitheater up there, and it was, it was gorgeous. Members of our church, it was a gorgeous wedding and uh, just a gorgeous view. But I'm always a little bit nervous about doing outside weddings because so many things can go wrong. Obviously, the main one is rain, right? But other things can go wrong at outside weddings as well. Uh, and so, um, this particular wedding, um, we were doing the wedding rehearsal on Rib Mountain. And if you've not been there, beautiful amphitheater overlooking the, the city. Uh, and there's like pews, basically, right? Two rows of pews in the amphitheater. Um, and then, you know, you're in a, in a park. Um, we are rehearsing up front, and all of a sudden in the back, um, a, a bunch of kids start jumping around and screaming. We're like, what is going on? And so one of their dads goes back there, and there is a snake in the amphitheater, and it's crawling underneath the pews. And, and you can imagine there are different reactions to this experience. Some of the kids are terrified. Out, I mean, some of the adults are terrified out of their mind, but some of the kids are terrified out of their mind and running and screaming to their parents. And, and, and some of the kids, the ones we were more worried about, are like running to the snake, right? How close can we get, you know? Um, so the, the parents and folks try to get the snake to go away. We, we were not successful at that. And the kids well, were either terrified or way too interested. And so one of the dads um, said, I'll, I'll take care of it. And I, this was like the bravest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and he walked up and he just went, and he stomped on the snake on its head and he crushed it. He had steel-toed boots, so he had some things going for him. Um, and I thought, holy moly, here we are on the mountain uh, in a time of worship with God. And a snake came, and he terrified the children, and then a serpent crusher came, and he struck its head. Um, This is the hope of Israel, right? The hope of Israel is that one day a serpent crusher will come. By the way, um, of course it's Jesus, right? Of course Jesus is the one who destroys the serpent but is wounded grievously in the process. Of course it's Jesus who's the seed of a woman but not the seed of a man. And Jesus describes His work like this, right? Jesus says, I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. From whom is He ransoming our lives? Not from God, but from Satan. Jesus says uh, He came in in a a conversation about His exorcisms and His war on Satan's kingdom. He says, I came to tie up the strong man and plunder his house. To tie up Satan and plunder his house to take people from him. We're told in Colossians 2.15 that um, on the cross, Jesus triumphs over the rulers and the authorities of this world and makes a spectacle of them. He's not talking about Pilate. He's talking about Satan, right? Uh, That that Jesus' work in ministry is the work of being uh, 
a serpent crusher. So, uh, this verse, so much, we're in one little verse here. Uh, first, the big idea, we're at war, right? We're at war, enmity between God's children and the serpent's children. Uh, and then two, um, we know who's going to win the war. There's a serpent crusher coming, right? Keep your eyes out for him. Uh, and, and then there's a third question, and this is really important, and this is maybe the most important. Um, the question is, what kind of seed will you be? Two kinds of seed, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. What kind of seed will you be? Uh, and um, here's the thing. The Bible is extremely clear about how you become a child of the woman or a child of God or a child of the enemy. Um, in John chapter 8, Jesus has an uncomfortable conversation with some um, with a crowd um, of people that are not believing in Him. And they, they actually talk about who their father is. And Jesus is talking about the father. They say, well, our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, no, He's not. I know you're Jewish, but if your father was Abraham, you would believe me because Abraham believed in me. They say, well, our father is God. Jesus says, no, He's not because God sent me. If your father was God, you would believe in me. Jesus says, and it's kind of hard to hear, verse 44, you are from your father the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. Jesus says, um, you can choose to be a seed of the serpent. You can choose to say, um, I'm going to partner with the enemy. I'm going to make my own decisions about what's good and not good. I'm going to rule my life the way I want to do it without God. You can do that. Or you have another choice. In John chapter 1, we get that choice. Did you hear about how we become children of God? It's really quite simple. But to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God. It's about who you believe. Do you believe what God says about what's good and what's not good? Or do you believe what the serpent says about what's good and not good? Will you let God be uh, governing your life or will you allow the serpent to govern your life? It's about, it's about trust. Uh, we, we had a conversation in our confirmation class just this morning. We talked about trust and I said, you know, trust but uh, like trusting your doctor, right? You don't trust your doctor because you believe he exists or because you believe he's a doctor or she's a doctor or because you think she's got good advice or because you agree with her and do what she says when you agree with her, right? You trust your doctor because you do what your doctor says regardless of whether you believe, agree with them or not, right? Uh, and the same thing's true about God. Uh, it's, it's not trust you don't become a seed of the woman or a seed of God or a child of God by believing God exists or by believing God has good ideas or by listening to God's words or by obeying what God says when you agree with it. You become a child of the woman by saying, you know, I'm going I'm to trust God all the time. I'm going to trust that Christ, the, the serpent crusher, knows better than me in every area of my life and I'm going to follow Him. Um, by the way, I'm coming back to, to the stomping of the serpent on Rib Mountain um, because one of the things that really struck me as, as significant there is it, it's not just Jesus who's a serpent crusher. See, because we're in Christ, we get to be serpent crushers too. 
we get to be involved in the work of the spiritual war, not against um, the people who are deluded, um, but against the enemy who has deluded them. Not against those who are tempted, but against the tempter himself. And and we engage in that work of serpent crushing with Jesus all the time when we offer comfort to those who are grieving, when we stand for justice for those who are unable to stand for themselves, when we offer forgiveness instead of more condemnations, when we challenge systems and structures that are used by the enemy, when we pray, when we reject temptation, when we use our work to elevate and minister and serve to others, when we share the saving story of Jesus, we join Jesus us in stomping on the serpent. And this is really important. Great battles are won with lots and lots and lots of individual encounters. It's not your job to beat Satan everywhere. It's just your job to make a little progress where God has planted you. Saturday, we had a group of people in our basement, the um, Aging and Disability Resource Center, which does Meals on Wheels, um, had an event together with Peyton's Promise, which is a ministry, uh, not a ministry, a, a program, and everything's a ministry when you're a pastor, a, a program in the DC Everest School District about helping people get food who are hungry. Uh, and so these um, grade school students and these folks in the ADRC packed 950 meals in our basement on Saturday morning. In fact, if you go down there now, they're all there. Uh, These are to be delivered to folks who can't get out to get their own food as emergency meals. So, if weather keeps Meals on Wheels from delivering, this is an emergency backup meal for those folks. And I thought, boy, um, what a simple little thing. We're going to make sure that people who can't get food get food. That, That little little choice, right, is a choice to say, hey, Jesus, I want to be part of your work and your war. I want uh, to make a difference for you. Um, I want to be involved as a serpent crusher. Uh, At the end of, um, or in the middle of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the 70 disciples out, not the 12, but the 70 disciples out um, to travel around and share the story of of who He is and um, spread the word of the kingdom of God. And they come back. And this is what happens when they come back. The 70 return with joy saying, Lord, in Your name, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Indeed, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, I am the seed that crushed the serpent, but you can be too. Uh, And and it's not going to be any less painless for you than it was for me. but you're not going to be any less victorious either. Uh, And and in the end, you will have the privilege of being part of my, not just this this cosmic war, but my eternal victory. And I know it's been such a long time since we've just been friends and not soldiers on the front lines of a war that we were born into, but we have to do this together. That's the call to the church. Put on your steel-toed boots, armor up, and get to work. Thanks be to God. Amen.